Hey, Cricket customers, Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Nice! Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Yeah! Phone plan, streams, and standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. It's Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, scientists have conducted an ant census, or at least that's what I'm calling it, and the total number they came up with is out of this world. Plus, the return of the shortage report. This time, craft beer. Its cause? An extinct volcano. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. How do you measure the number of ants in the world? In weight, all the ants on planet Earth weigh a total of 12 megatons of dry carbon, apparently the standard way of measuring animals' biomass. 12 megatons, or 12 million tons. That's more than all wild birds and wild mammals on Earth put together. Or, in pure numbers, 20 quadrillion. 20 quadrillion. There are 20 quadrillion ants on the planet. That is two and a half million ants per human. These numbers are all courtesy of scientists from the University of Hong Kong who analyzed nearly 500 studies from thousands of authors from all over the world over the span of a century. They published their findings this week in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Entomologist and co-lead author Patrick Schultheis told Reuters, quote, Our dataset represents a massive collecting effort of thousands of scientists. We were then able to extrapolate the number of ants for different regions of the world and estimate their total global number and biomass. End quote. And as the Washington Post explains, the main two ways to take an ant census is by examining leaf litter on the ground or by setting pitfall traps like a plastic cup and waiting for the ants to slip in. Surveys using these and other methods have been conducted all around the world for decades, though some areas lack data. Africa in particular is a place where experts know there are high densities of ants, but few surveys have been conducted. And even though this 20 quadrillion population count even has the researchers themselves gobsmacked, in part because how does a human even begin to conceive of such an enormous number, there are concerns that the number could be declining. Other insect populations have documented declines occurring in Germany, Puerto Rico, and more, according to the Washington Post, largely caused by climate change, pesticides, and habitat destruction. Beetles and butterflies are apparently in the greatest danger. This study didn't look into whether ant populations are declining, or as co-lead author Sabine Newton put it, a temporal shift in ant abundance, but having this current number now is a start. And before you get too excited about the idea of fewer ants in the world because you're sick of getting bit when you're laying in the grass or having to fight them off in your kitchen, the post reminds us just how valuable ants really are for the world. Quote, 
By tunneling, they aerate soil and drag seeds underground to sprout. They serve as a source of food for untold arthropods, birds, and mammals. And while carpenter ants are pesky to homeowners, forests would be stacked to the brim with dead wood without the decomposing power of wood-destroying insects. End quote. And as Schultheis put it to Reuters, quote, Some ants can certainly be very annoying, but that's a very human-centered perspective. Most ants are actually highly beneficial, even to us humans. Think about the amount of organic matter that 20 quadrillion ants transport, remove, recycle, and eat. In fact, ants are so essential for the smooth working of biological processes that they can be seen as ecosystem engineers. The late ant scientist E.O. Wilson once called them the little things that run the world. End quote. E.O. Wilson was basically the goat of myrmecologists, a.k.a. ant scientists. He passed away last year, but back in 2009, he told Esquire that an ant colony is far more intelligent than an ant. And I love thinking about that because it reminds me of the power of collaboration among humans, too. We can achieve so much more when we work together. I'm sure we all need alone time, and sometimes we come up with brilliant ideas on our own, but whether it's an artistic creation or a scientific innovation, you can often go so much further with a team than on your own. And there are often so many more people behind achievements than we realize because we humans love putting one face on something, and us Americans especially love the idea of the rugged individual who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps all on their own, against all odds. But of course, that's rarely true. If you've ever seen Pixar's very true-to-reality film, A Bug's Life, there's a scene where the gang of grasshoppers that force the ants to bring them their harvests every summer are discussing how the main character, Flick the Ant, had stood up to them. And most of the grasshoppers think it's not a big deal, he's just one ant, whatever. But Hopper, the head of the grasshoppers, explains that if one ant stands up to them, they all might stand up. And if you get a whole colony of ants standing up to you, you're in real trouble. Because while just one puny little ant might not be a threat to a gang of grasshoppers, thousands of ants altogether can make a huge impact. And the idea of collaboration is apparent even in this study. There was the team of people who conducted the study and published the paper, already a group of people, not just one scientist, but they went back and analyzed hundreds of previous studies from thousands of other scientists, a veritable ant colony's worth of scientists for this one paper. And interestingly, years before this team from the University of Hong Kong got together to take the latest ant census, E.O. Wilson and fellow biologist Bert Holdobler made a rough guess about the global ant population. Informally, they put forward a guess of 10 quadrillion, half of what it really is today, but as the Post points out, still within the same order of magnitude. Schultheis is impressed by this guess, but not surprised. He told the Post, quote, Wilson was simply a very smart man. He knew an awful lot about ants and had a gut feeling, basically. End quote. 10 quadrillion or 20 quadrillion. And it barely matters because it's so hard for us to conceive of even a single quadrillion. 
So next time you get annoyed by ants, just remember, there are two and a half million of them for every one of us. Should they ever choose to rise up, we are laughably outnumbered. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. It's been a while since our last shortage report. There continue to be moderate to severe shortages in different sectors around the globe, but I usually like to reserve space on the podcast for particularly interesting causes of disruption to the supply chain. And, well, nothing catches my eye like a headline about an extinct volcano leading to a shortage of craft beer. So let's break it down. First, the state of beer. Beer sales in the U.S. overall have seen a 25% increase since the beginning of the pandemic, according to Axios and Top Data. But craft beer got hit harder in the first year or so of the pandemic. That year, overall beer production fell 3%, while craft beer production specifically fell 10%. A lot of craft beer is consumed in person, at breweries and local bars. While many craft breweries worked to start or ramp up their packaging and distribution once they had to shut down bars, they lacked the resources to do so as competitively as major brewing companies. As we enter the last quarter of 2022, things have mostly leveled out for craft breweries. Inflation and supply chain issues are troubling them, especially in higher costs for raw materials like aluminum and barley, but not substantially more than other industries. But some smaller breweries, particularly on the eastern half of the continental U.S., are facing an all-new supply chain threat, a shortage of carbon dioxide. Like other shortages, this has been building throughout the pandemic. Shutdowns and reduced deliveries, the usual pandemic suspects, have led to less CO2 supply. CO2 is largely recovered from factories that produce ammonia, like alongside fertilizer, and at corn-to-ethanol plants. As Kendall Jones explains on the Washington Beer blog, we've had less ammonia and less ethanol production over the past couple of years, and therefore less CO2 to go around. Jones elaborates, quote, The world's ammonia supply is fragile right now. Primarily, ammonia is used for fertilizer, but this story isn't about fertilizer. In Europe, a significant portion of the ammonia supply comes from Russia and companies controlled by oligarchs. Sanctions and the other impacts of the war in Ukraine have caused prices to soar as supply falls short of demand. Ammonia production is also tied to the availability of natural gas, which is also a problem in Europe these days. Here in North America, it's been reported that two major ammonia production facilities are currently closed for maintenance and upgrades, which industry insiders cite as one of the broken links in the North American CO2 supply chain, end quote. 
Also, and I don't know how much this is really contributing by numbers, but Jones brings up the point that the mRNA COVID vaccines are hogging up a lot of the CO2 in the dry ice used for their cold chain storage and transportation. And on top of all of that, there is typically a shortage of CO2 for beverage makers during the summer months, because one of the largest sources of CO2, the ammonia plants that produce carbon dioxide alongside fertilizer, shut down over the summer when fertilizer isn't in demand. Now, this is something beverage makers and other merchants who purchase CO2 are aware of and usually plan for. But this summer, they got hit with an additional challenge. Natural contaminants found in the CO2 supply of an extinct volcano in Mississippi. Quoting New Scientist, while the U.S. has multiple sources of natural carbon dioxide, the CO2 reservoir beneath an uplifted area known as the Jackson Dome is the only large underground deposit east of the Mississippi River. Both the CO2 and Jackson Dome were created by a now-extinct volcano, buried 880 meters below Mississippi's capital of Jackson, which once emitted huge amounts of carbon dioxide before falling silent prior to the end of the Cretaceous period about 66 million years ago. Since oil and gas companies discovered the deposit in the 1970s, Jackson Dome has become a significant source of CO2 for both U.S. Gulf Coast oil production and a $1.5 billion merchant market that includes food and beverage processing. This deposit represents almost 15% of U.S. merchant CO2 capacity, says Maura Garvey at Intelligas Consulting in Massachusetts. So it's a very important source for the market, especially the food and beverage industry, which represents 70% of demand, end quote. The Jackson Dome deposit is also an unusually pure natural source of CO2 because it ended up in an underwater reservoir made of quartz sandstone. So when it arrived from the volcanic eruption, there was nothing else in there except for salt water. Recently, however, some merchants found elevated levels of benzene and sulfur in their CO2 supply. And while naturally occurring, benzene can be toxic at higher levels and sulfur can leave a poor odor. And for this reason, it can be tough to process the CO2 to meet food and beverage standards when it contains higher levels of benzene and sulfur. The issue has apparently been resolved, but as we have learned when it comes to the supply chain, the effects are still rippling out. As brewing companies struggle to get their usual supply of carbon dioxide, they've had to scale back operations, and some have even suspended operations. But other craft breweries are doing just fine because they capture and reuse the CO2 that is a natural byproduct of their fermentation processes, eliminating the need to purchase CO2 from a supplier, or at least not as much of it. It's a growing movement that only in recent years started being practical for smaller craft breweries, but especially in light of the CO2 and other pandemic-ish related shortages, more and more craft breweries have been hopping on the bandwagon. Now, it won't solve the problem right now because it can take about six months at least to implement, but these shortages have craft breweries thinking about how they can prevent being affected by such shortages in the future. So if you are a craft beer fan like me, should you be concerned that it'll be hard to find some of your favorites on the shelf or at your local bar in the coming months? Possibly, but most likely not. Some breweries say they're totally fine, and others have had to shut down facilities. So if you do have a favorite, it's worth checking their social media for updates and considering how you can support them if they're being adversely affected. 
In the long run, though, hopefully we will see more and more carbon capture systems in breweries, as well as other more sustainable practices. As beer blogger Jones put it, quote, Hopefully, CO2 production returns to normal levels in the near future. However, a world with less gasoline and less ammonia does sound rather lovely, so long as there's beer. End quote. Well, time for another weird documentary recommendation. This one is called The Pez Outlaw. Pez, like those toys that dispense candy out of Mickey Mouse's mouth. Well, Mickey Mouse and about a million other characters and items. People have been collecting and trading all the different Pez dispensers for decades. And this new documentary, The Pez Outlaw, follows the story of one such man from rural Michigan, Steve Glue, who went looking for the most valuable Pez dispensers, which were located in Eastern Europe. And he went to find them back in 1989, right after the fall of the Berlin Wall. He gets wrapped up in some high stakes international controversy at the hands of the company's president. It already sounds like the kind of off-the-wall, stranger-than-fiction kind of documentary that I love, but watching the trailer reveals that this is something even better. In addition to interviews with relevant people and Pez collectors, the film features reenactments of the story, but with Glue playing himself in all of the reenactments. It's a brilliant concept, and the trailer overall is way more stylized, slick, and funny than you usually see from a documentary. And coming off years of increasingly cinematic and mainstream documentaries from platforms like Netflix, this style isn't altogether shocking, but I feel like The Pez Outlaw is really marking the line in the sand of where this new generation of documentary filmmaking has found its footing. I mean, I say that, but I haven't even watched the movie yet. I just saw the trailer, which you can watch too at the link in the show notes. The Pez Outlaw debuted at South by Southwest this year and will be available on demand on October 21st. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.